So we are we are back with our our fantastic guest talking all about the print side of not only the packaging we've been talking about in this course, but almost any project you are going to be tackling when it comes to working with a printer. Mm. Um, and when Jordan and I were kind of putting together the outline of this, we were thinking we need to have someone on here that can give us that walkthrough of maybe what a typical project would look like with a printer and even some upfront stuff is what the advantages are about having a printer on your side as a designer, right? That to us is just the most important thing. So I reached out to a good friend of mine. He has been an advocate with my class and including he's a teacher as well on the side as far as for printing. This is David Mays from Typecraft. David, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Yeah, glad to have you. We are so Thank excited you. about this. This is good. Like, uh, <laughs> this is like tech talk for for printer for printers, designers, everybody. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. And, and you talk about this in in length in, with your job, with your profession as a teacher. Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about you know your background in printing in general. Oh, okay, certainly. Yeah. Um, I have been printing now for th- thirty seven years. Nice. I uh, started uh, with a vocational training program called Job Corps mm-hmm. and then worked um, in a couple of different shops. I started out working in production. I trained as a stripper, a cameraman, plate man. No, not that kind of stripper. <laughs> yeah, we might, we might want to tell our listeners stripping Cam- is a tech term back in the day of uh, traditional printing. <laughs> um, and I worked as a cameraman, plate maker, cutter operator, folder operator, collator, um, and worked in most phases of print production. Yeah. And then uh, one of the jobs I went to started training me in estimating and customer service. Mm-hmm. So that led to uh, I've been an estimator for a long, long time. Uh, and estimating is really one of the, the hearts of the relationship between the printer and the designer is, is in my experience. Absolutely, yeah. Because, um, of course, everybody wants to know what something costs but I can't tell you that until we have a set of specifications. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and I have been at Typecraft actually just this last month. I finished 20 years here. Wow. Um, and Typecraft has been an amazing company uh, connected with the arts and design community in Los Angeles for uh, 107 years, I believe, or wow. 100, a little bit longer. It was founded, Wooden Jones was founded in 1907. So 112 years. Um, and uh, my my time at Typecraft has really uh, supported my uh, deep involvement in the design community with AIGA. I have been on the board with AIGA. I'm now on the advisory board for AIGA LA. And I've found a family and a community that I really love uh, within the graphic design community in Los Angeles. Um and I, I ended up teaching. I teach a class at Loyola Marymount University for graduating seniors. And it's, it's basically, it's a portfolio class, but it's also a networking, get to know the community, work on your resume, studio tours um, class where I, I try and introduce my students to as many people as I can in the community so that they understand that networking and connecting is is critically important. I I tell them that 
every single job I've ever gotten hasn't been off of a job board. It's been through a friend, yeah. a friend of a friend, whatever. And it's just Absolutely. always been that way for, in my experience. Yeah. Um, and the all along in printing, even going back to the beginning uh, at, at a company called Westside Printworks, I found that my work was educating designers. Designers would come in bring a file, bring, or at that time they'd bring artboards with overlays and we'd be making color keys. And <laughs> um, it was always a matter of working with the designer to help them understand what we can do, what we can't do, what some of the pitfalls are. Yeah. Okay. This will be super expensive. No, that won't be super expensive. We could mm. give you this extra thing here, but no, you can't do that there. It It's always a process of working together partnering with the designer to create something yeah and, yeah yeah so i've been super fortunate to have designers uh work with me and value that i think it's we found huge, our third co-host <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that value yeah, is massive perfect. especially for someone like me where I, I didn't go to college for design and i learned again by like just messing up a lot <laughs> I, I i can't tell you the amount i've learned through printers like this is, we can't do this, here's why Here you set your file up wrong, you didn't embed an image or outline or whatever it was, you didn't pathfind correctly. Like, I've learned a ton about printing just from yeah. printing printers and vendors, right? Like, that was part of my schooling. So I, in terms of value, like, it's massive. I can definitely attest to that. That's yeah. great, dude. And also, too, yeah. it's, it's, it's like you mentioned, you learned it through going through the ranks. And with anything... Uh, I love when I see people in either sales or marketing positions who have also gone through the trenches of learning, been on the yeah. road or whatever it was, because like you said, you now can be the best estimator and best liaison because you've been hands-on with that stuff. And and I wish young designers had more uh, exposure to that. And that's why our first section here is kind of like this whole idea about finding a printer to work with. Mm -hmm. it, it's mm -hmm. so important. And I think this could be anywhere. And I'm hoping you you could probably give us some you know tips on how to find it but having a great printer in your back pocket as a designer is has so many advantages what do you what do you see as the way we can start thinking about getting in and finding a a printer in our area to start thinking about these projects uh, certainly one of the first places is AIGA mm -hmm. and the graphic design community um, because the, the designers in AIGA are going to have the experience. They're going to know who the printers are in your community. Um, and honestly, uh, printing as a custom manufacturing uh, job, a process, mm -hmm. um, the easier it is for me to manufacture, uh, the easier my life is and the more money I can make as a printer and as a businessman. Yeah. Well. Truth is, designers aren't easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the truth, right? Very yeah, yeah. People. Designers uh, want to push the envelope. They want to try something weird and different. They want to do a fold, a cut that's impossible or expensive. Um, designers, the, the, the goal of a design is to stand out and be different and, and get attention and, and not do the same thing everybody else does. But for a manufacturer, I always want to do the same thing. Mm. Right. So the way I can make money is to make the same thing all the time because then I iron out all the mistakes mm, and yeah. I can make, you know, a million widgets and make money on them. Unfortunately, with with 
graphic design printing, every single job is like a bag of snakes. Our production manager, <laughs> our production manager used to say, every job you salesmen bring in here is like a bag of snakes. We know it's going to bite us. We just don't know how or when. <laughs> and it, it, the truth is that for a printer, there are so many pitfalls. I immediately, when I see a job, I start looking at, okay, well, this will work. That won't work. I just, I've trained to that. Sure. Um, so it, it can be really tough for printers and you get in a room full of printers and I'll say, oh, I work with graphic designers and they'll go, oh my God, designers are, are so tough. <laughs> and it's true because, and so going to your question of trying to find a printer, you want to find a printer that's going to be sympathetic to design and that's going to be a champion for design because ah, yeah. um, it, 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 it's easier for a printer to avoid designers in terms of just printing stuff and getting it out the door, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, designers are going to be super picky. I've had designers reject a job on me because the type picked up a minuscule bit of weight in the process of burning the film or whatever. Wow. And, you know, I've been blacklisted from a major organization because the type picked up a, a an <laughs> almost imperceptible amount of weight when we printed it. But the designer saw it and said, oh, that printer, don't use them again. So oh it, 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 it can be really, it can be tough. Yeah. So you, you're going to want to find a printer that's going to be honest with you. You're going to want to find a printer that is um, interested in doing good work not just cranking it out the door. And mm -hmm. as a designer, um, you're going to have a range of printers. You're going to have an A printer, a B printer, a C printer. You're yeah. going to have your clients that don't want to spend a penny and they're going to go to some, you know, cheapy, you know, Larry at Lowball Litho, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that some clients, that's appropriate. They don't care. Yeah. You as a designer have to kind of, uh, uh, turn aside and not scrutinize the quality because the client's not going to pay for the quality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, if you get a major brochure, a lookbook for a large organization um, and your reputation's on the line, you better not go to that crummy printer to do that because if the printer screws it up, it's going to look bad on you. It's going to be bad for the client. And you as a designer will have to make a call as to, okay, this client isn't going to pay for printing. I've got to go cheap versus, okay, this client's not going to accept anything less than something mm -hmm. that makes us all look really good. Yeah. And it's in, in those cases that you've got to be super careful about the printer and know that the printer, A, does work like that. You want to go on plant tours yeah. as as you begin to think about printers, go visit the printer, look at their work, look at what they do, meet the people, look at their equipment. You know, not that you're an expert on all this stuff, but that it's more, it's about getting a feel of, am I going to have a home here? Are yeah, these guys going to have my back? Yeah, yeah it, it's all about a relationship. And 100%. all of my work, all of my clients that I work with, they come back to me because I want to take care of them. And I'll... And honestly, um, printers are treated like a commodity uh, a lot by mm -hmm. maybe not so much by graphic designers, but certainly by purchasing agents and um, yeah. production managers at ad agencies. As a printer, you're completely expendable. There's five other guys that will jump in there and do what you're doing in a heartbeat. So you're totally expendable. So 
I've been treated as a complete commodity by clients, it sucks. Nobody wants yeah. to be treated yeah. like that. Yeah. Of course. And I don't – I haven't done a ton of work with ad agencies because, unfortunately, that's been some of the experience I've had is, mm. of course, all the big printers in town are clamoring to get into the big agency, right? So they're all going in there and bringing them Dodger tickets or whatever. And <laughs> I've – I've never been any good at that. I've been, look, here's the work. Yeah. So if I get treated like a commodity, I'm not going to jump up and down and bend over backwards for you. And yeah. th that could be for, you know, a $50,000 job. But then I'll get a designer comes in here and has a $200 business card. And <laughs> if they're earnest and they want to do good work, I'll bend over backwards for them. I'll take time. I'll show them stuff. And as a salesman, that's kind of stupid because it's like, why spend all your time on a $200 job when really you should be concentrating on a $50,000 job? <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's just my nature that uh, the relationship is what matters to me. There's and a so shared passion there, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and I love graphic design. And I, um, the early designers I worked with, Kim Baer, Joe Malloy, and, and uh, Deborah Sussman's office, I... It, I worked with people that were passionate about design. They trained me as a printer. Kim Bear, in particular, had printed thousands of jobs when I started working with her. And I became one of her main printers. And I learned so much from her. And she, she knew when to push me. And she would get a set of color separations and say, David, this looks like crap. <laughs> or she knew how to give me correction. She knew she could look at a color separation and say, okay, do this, do this, do that, do this. I wouldn't understand what the hell she was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but I would go to the color separator and say, okay, the client said do ABC. And the guy goes, oh, yeah, okay, you know, boom, boom, boom. And they would, mm -hmm. they would work on it. So I've been taught uh, so much by the design community. I love hearing that. I, I would never think because it's like you all share your expertise of what area you're in, but you're right. It's like you've learned from some of the best and you've seen that. So I guess like the, 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 the good question on this is like, have you seen a good example where even a, you know, a, a small or medium desi designer or someone has been a really good liaison to the client because of the relationship with you? There was an advantage to the designer because of your mm -hmm. relationship. Oh, certainly. The um, by my trying to give the designer every bit of information and resource and paper swatch books and dummies or whatever, uh, by my trying to fully arm and equip uh, the designer to deal with the client, yeah, I will tell them um, do this, don't do that. Uh, I try and give them all of the, the benefit of my knowledge and to say, here's how to handle the client. And, and in particular, you know, with young designers, for example, one of the things Kim Bear taught me is the designer never signs the proof. The client, the man or woman paying the bill signs the mm -hmm. proof. Yeah. And that there'll be pressure to ignore that. And I have a lot of designers that sign the proof on the behalf of the client, but I've also ended up paying for reprints together with the designer and the client because yeah. the design there was pressure i've got the trade show get this mm -hmm. thing printed blah, blah i'm blah. the one here like designer right. signs it yeah and, not and good. we don't have time and then 
yeah, we don't have time to do it right. But then, oh, yeah, we have time. I don't care about the brochure for the trade show. I'm not paying for this brochure. Reprint it. And I've paid for that. I've paid to reprint brochures. Designers have paid to reprint brochures because of uh, taking shortcuts like that. Yeah. So I warn students that the person paying the bill is – I get scared when a, when anybody signing a proof just looks at the proof really quickly and cursorily and here, sign it, let's go. Yeah. That scares me because – you know, later when there's the typo with the CEO's name misspelled, it's like, oh, how could you do that? You know, then everybody's in pain. And yeah. I, I, I think sometimes I tend to be a little bit pessimistic with designers and relationships <laughs> because I've been through so many problems, right? I've had so many well, battles. It falls on your shoulder. I mean, you printers ultimately become that scapegoat because especially yeah. if you're not in contact with the client, like what's the designer going to say? Like, yeah. oh, they messed this up. We're going to try yes. to have them reprint. You know what I mean? Like yep. to, more often yep. than not, I, I do think the fault unjustifiably probably a lot of the times comes onto the printer just because you're working with usually one person, all usually the designer. Yeah. So bringing but, the yeah. client to sign off on proofs is huge for yeah. the designer too, for designers listening. Like I've been held responsible by putting in the typo. Like mm-hmm. it, you, you got to have the person paying the bills sign off. Yeah. I think, it, I think it's more because if you think about it, I, I'm glad you brought that point up because that's such that's an old school checkpoint that has to be more applied to today. And I think today is yeah. all so on demand and everything's so like e-signature and whatever. No, 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 no. Eyes need yeah. to be on the thing. And the more oh, yeah. we can do that, uh, you know, my email right before this thing was someone catching uh, a typo that was right before it was going to press. And yeah. I was like, you know, I've put into I've put into play my things that kind of make sure I'm a better designer with it. But it's always going to happen, so you got to make sure it's the client, 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 never the designer. I'm, uh, that's a great point to push out there. Yeah, for sure. And another another a new fangled aspect of that is PDF proofs. People like, oh, send me a PDF yep. proof, and we have been Typecraft has been bit hard by PDF proofs because yes, ninety percent of the time they're fine, and then sometimes we've had a a we made a hard copy proof there was a problem we fixed the problem the problem looks fixed in the pdf and then we make the plates and there's a problem there yeah and it doesn't happen very often but it happens and i've reprinted some expensive jobs because of pdf proofs that Mm. screwed up so the the time pressure and the convenience pressure of look there's no time for this just send me a pdf let's get it printed it, I, I'm so gun shy about that yeah. because we've been hurt. And y- y- you're right, Jordan. The printer ends up being the scapegoat. The printer ends up yeah. paying the bill. And I, I get designers that get mad at me saying, oh, your printers are always blaming us designers. Well, it's like, yeah, the printer ends up paying for reprints. Um, yeah, you get put a, back a, in that commodity. Place of yeah. commodity. Kind and it's the, yeah. la- it's the last thing on the production line. Like it's the, yep. you know, it's like, the uh-huh. la- I always remember that too. And everyone, I'm like, it's the blame goes to who, who needs to be the eyes to review and sign off and take the responsibility. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's, let's get into uh, estimating. Cause I think um, mm-hmm. one, we've, we briefly talked about our methods of how we kind of approach this, but we purposely didn't get into too much detail cause we knew we'd have you here. Mm-hmm. So Mm-hmm. This idea of the project timeline and review, and let's say that the, the designer's coming to you now to give you 
everything they have. What's the dream checklist? What's the dream package look like when they come to you to get a really good, accurate estimate? So the dream package is you don't bring me four different design concepts with three different color schemes and 14 different papers. Yeah. And, Can you price each of these uh, for each of these quantities? And exactly. Yada, yada. Boy, I, I thought that went, would be on without saying, but obviously you're getting that a lot. <laughs> I, I get, I get these requests that are matrices of here, give me a price on this little booklet and I want 75 different prices oh. and it's going to be one booklet. And <laughs> I understand where the designer's coming from. They want to test out ideas. I had a fellow walk in the other day, and he pulled out four different books, four different sizes, four different papers, and he says, here, give me prices on all of these. And I was like, uh. well, wait a minute. What are you going to do? And, <laughs> and it, so the dream, wow. the dream thing that I get is that you, the designer has to tighten things up a little bit before they come to me. I know that I have to do multiple estimates, but... The truth is, I'm estimating on spec. I don't get paid to do quotes, and I do a boatload of quotes all the time. Um, and the designer has to have mercy on the estimator in that mm -hmm. it's a lot of work to figure out an estimate. You bring me four different binding methods. I've got to call four different vendors and send out diagrams and notes to them and answer all their questions and then yeah. get all their prices back. And it's a lot of work. It's just like asking a designer to do you know, 50 comps on a little tiny job where you're not going to get paid for doing all of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But with a designer, it's a little different because in a design fee, you get to build in some of that. You probably don't get to build in all of the cost of doing that, but maybe you get to cover some of it. With yeah. print estimating, I don't even know if I'm going to get the job. I, I exactly. might be one of five printers you're talking to. Yeah. So... It, that's a frustrating thing for me as a as an estimator, and I've been an estimator for you know, thirty years. Um, so the dream thing is that okay, look, you've got an A, you've got a Cadillac you want to do, and you've got a Hyundai you want to do. Let's look at the high end and the low end. Don't make me estimate all the things in the middle. Mm -hmm. Let's go with okay. The designer is only going to spend two grand on the brochure. Let's figure out you know what we can do there. Or the designer's going to spend twenty grand on the brochure. Let's go for dry traps, spot gloss varnishes, and UVs and debosses, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, as a designer, you've got to work with your client to kind of. Um, I think that designers sometimes, I, I don't think they understand the amount of work involved in doing an estimate and. One of the analogies I use and I tease designers with is, okay, you guys like math, right? Let's do some math. Here's an <laughs> estimate. The estimate is all pure math. I got to buy this many sheets of paper, that many pounds of ink. How about you? Would you like to do math on 48 different options? <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it, this, the root of that, you know, trying to figure out why that would happen often enough. I think it's just simply designers are not establishing parameters earlier on with their client. Meaning like, say it's a brochure. Well, like, let's talk about the demographic of consumers, what it is, where it's going to live. Is it going to be outside in the sun or is it just going to sit, you know, on a hotel desk or, 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 or even getting down to like the client's budget, like establishing totally. that kind of stuff yeah. early on is going to help any designer listening who maybe hasn't done this yet, but like not come immediately with like, I, we want a brochure and I'd like to price out A to Z and everything yeah. versus yeah. like, well, what is the brochure? What's the purpose? Where, you know. Things are going to affect it. You're going to, 
you're going to be able to eliminate that kind of stuff pretty quickly having some established uh, parameters. Yeah. Yeah. Like, your budget and quantity are obviously going to be the two biggest drivers. Yeah. And, and why not? Like, so maybe that's a better conversation to have as designers with the client is like, let's get that up front because when I go to David, I, I don't want to, you're right. You don't want to go with nine freaking options. You two at the max maybe, but yeah. Right. I mean, cause like a budget is a budget. No. How often do you see someone be like, go from five grand for something to 40 grand? That's <laughs> I don't think that happens. So why are you? And the you? client should have an idea. The I client mean, should be like, yeah. here's our print budget. We'd like it to be around this number. Yeah. And then you, I mean, that's going to eliminate a ton seemingly. I, I, I'm told the budget may be on 10% of the bids. I am yeah. almost never told oh, the budget. Yeah. Really? I, uh, yeah. It, it's really rare that I get the budget. And there's, there's two factors behind that. One, the designer hasn't sussed it out or figured it out with the client, which is, mm -hmm. which happens a lot. Yeah. Or another reason that a purchasing agent isn't going to tell me the budget is because they're getting competitive bids. Yeah. And so uh, they're yeah. not going to tell me what they're going to spend because they want my cheapest price. Yeah. And when I've asked, that's been the answer to me frequently when I ask, so what's the budget? It's like, tell me what your price is. Yeah. And <laughs> that on these 17 options. And yeah, yeah, exactly. that is, I, I understand that from the point of view of a purchasing agent, but the other side of it is that it it there's two what goes on with a print buy is so many times a print buy is competitive and a client mm. or a designer is obligated to get bids from three different printers and i understand that and that's how business is and that's the realities of it and so especially in a case like that it's not fair to have three different printers figure out a whole bunch of stuff for you. You've got to have one set of specifications that you're giving to all three printers. You can't have three different phone conversations. Exactly. Because every printer has different equipment, different capabilities, different costs, different whatever. And it if if we have three different conversations about the same project with three different printers. You're going to get three different completely bids based on what the printer wants to do, can do, is best at. I've got some mm, of this paper sitting uh -huh. on the floor. And it, particularly in a competitive bid situation, that's just not fair. It, you've got to tell each of the printers to give you the exact same thing. Yeah. yeah. And you've got to write it out and specify it and say, I want this on this paper, this ink, this binding – that 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 that. As a as a print estimator, I'm going to say to you, well, you know what? Why don't we try this other binding because I have that binder in house or whatever. And you might find a great so, way around it, right? Yeah, and so as the individual, it, yeah. It, it, it in a competitive bid situation, it's it's respectful and fair to have everybody bid on the same thing. And then as a designer, when you get the bids back, you've got to scrutinize them because mm -hmm. even then, the printer might change a spec now. If I change a spec, I always call you and talk to you about it. But sometimes a spec gets changed and it's on you as the designer to catch it in the bid. So you then put the three bids next to each other and read them and look and make sure that, yes, they did this paper and they did this and this and this. And it. so competitive bidding is a as its own particular set of uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. parameters that you've yeah. got to work with. And competitive bidding is tough for a printer because yeah. – I'm not going to do anything for you in the bid that you didn't ask for because otherwise I won't get the job. Now, True. 
I could be working with a designer who I know is really picky and I know he's going to do three rounds of proof and I know he's going to do this and I know he's going to be late for the press check or, you know, whatever. <laughs> as, a, as an estimator, it's my responsibility to the company to try and account for some of that. So Protect. I'll throw in some extra bucks so that I don't have to go back and ask them for money. But Good. on a competitive bid... I'm not going to throw in anything extra because if I had if I had money to my job, <laughs> right? I'm yeah. not, I want to get the job, and if I yeah. come in with the high price, then I just won't get the job. Period, and I and then it would have been a whole waste of time to even. Yeah, do I think that's mm. a good point to bring up because if any young designer is at a, I know my first few jobs, and when I was the designer going out and doing this, I had a, our purchasing department said you got to get three quotes. You got to give them the same specs and everything, but you know, you like, it, it sucks being a designer on that end. And I think your knowledge of saying, Hey, think about it in advance. Make sure you're giving the same quote to everybody. That's super smart. And I think most of our listeners are probably going to be the sole designer that is maybe working as the liaison with the part, the printer. And hopefully yeah. they could just say like, look, okay, we could do a few options here, but that would be, I would probably imagine most of them aren't having to do the three bids. So we got both there that we're covering, and I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's it's good to know that. And that's how, God, I, I remember being in that position, and I hated it because <laughs> it's like I'm the designer, and I felt like you know I'm the one now going like we gotta I have to turn it in and hope that purchasing picked the one that I want to work with the best. Like it's a I know that situation. So hopefully most of our folks aren't dealing with that just yet. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love your your idea of saying like minimize the options make it crystal clear. You know, I think you're you had nailed it too by saying these are things that have to be there. No no printer can give you an estimate until they understand what they're going to be doing. Yeah. yeah. It's as simple yeah. as that. It it's pure math. It's just a matter of and I, in my class and in the the tour that I did with you, I give you a a list of a whole bunch of different estimates. Mm -hmm. I have like 15 or 20 bids and the the specifications are written out very carefully, clearly. I tried to eliminate abbreviations because I want people to take all these estimates on different projects from letterhead to big brochures to hardcover books. Take my specifications, um, look at them, and uh, utilize them. And when you get a project, look at which one of those bids is close to yours. Write a good set of specs because – even you know, if you're not doing competitive bids, you're just talking to one printer, regardless, the printer still needs to know what you want and you have to make decisions. And from a creative point of view, it it's tough, to, I think, to make a decision and commit yourself to something. Mm -hmm. But from a pricing and economics point of view, you have to make a decision of some sort. Otherwise, I can't give you a price. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it, it's, it's trying to... Um, understand the point of view and the parameters that the estimator's working in versus the parameters that you're working in as a creative person. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's also just a lot of relationship building where you're, you're talking about uh, being treated as a commodity and ultimately like the scapegoat in these situations where I, I just think for designers listening who may be I think the root of a lot of those problems could be just young designers working with small businesses who've never dealt with printing anything. So you have two people that don't really understand the process. But to me, it should fall on the designer's shoulders to learn and soak up all this experience and this understanding that you can carry through. 
And the only way to do that is you build those relationships. So if like, oh yeah, you find a designer who's willing to like take you there and and, and educate and help you. To me, that I would go back. Like I, I guess I'm. I feel a little loyal to like my designers that are my printers that I go with, just because mm-hmm. from step one they were there to help me, and I know the kind of work they do, and they're transparent and they're honest. You know what I mean? And, yes. and yeah. like you said, they yeah. have that sort of empathetic view towards designers, which is really helpful. Uh, yeah. So finding someone like that, it's not always about the the cheapest price. I think, I think that is part of stuff. Sure, I get it for the client's sake, but there's so much value in knowing that like. Well, the quality is good. I've, yeah. And I've worked with this person before. Yeah. It's all about that networking. Like, I'm going to go back to those people. The value for that to me is, is massive. Mm-hmm. Knowing there's trust and transparency. And, and I, I think that that sort of relationship building in the end through all this is just as important, if not more, than yeah. just trying to find a cheaper alternative. Because they're going to be cheap alternatives. But, you know, yeah. in the long run, it could cost more if it's not done correctly or... You know, not all printers are the same. And Nick and I were talking about that before, where it's like, I've had many jobs that the outcome just comes different. Like with beer labels, I've worked with lots of different printers and the quality is just ranges from, you know, okay to amazing. And even the experience and the, you know, the uh, customer service in between. So I think, I think finding, finding those printers that are, are like what you're saying and how you're, you're, you're sort of acting towards this is, is huge. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of value there. You also think about the, the <laughs> a good printer is going to give you the most detailed estimate. And I've seen David's estimates. They're, they're, yeah. they're amazing. And when I show that to a client, there's a confidence I have that they, I've said, look at the person I brought to the table. Look at this person that is going to be printing your project. Look at what they have done. So everything we've talked about so far leads us to that point where now we have this great estimate, right? And yeah. I, I want to show them something that's very itemized and then it's educational to them too, because when they see the bottom price and go 14,000, how, why? And David's broken it down. Wow, man, you, you, and and same as goes for when we give our prices, you know, I think we've, Jordan and I both learned how to make our estimates just as clean and just as polished. So a big, big, um, kind of advantage there to make sure that you have brought someone to the table that your client's going to go, wow, I trust him even more. I mean, like right. the, even that act is is, is definitely not an, a commonality that I I get with new vendors, right, or printers. Like, yeah, yeah. You yeah. find people that do that that go above and beyond and or actually take that customer service into consideration. As designers, we have to the clients like there's there's value in that, right? Exactly. And why you know we talk about stepping up our customer game <laughs> to clients, right? Because yeah. it's important because you add more value. Yeah. So I, yeah, those things are are I good think, on high consideration. So, so, so we're going to get to the meat of this conversation. I think the next, this is the next phase. And I think this is, this is where most of our, our uh, listeners, including ourselves, are going to learn probably the most. And this is that, it's that file prep. It's we've got the estimate. We, everyone's good. We, we've shown the client kind of what, what's going on. They've approved it. And the work is done. And, and you are the perfect person to tell us what our files need to be. Because, man, I, I think you and I talked about this a little bit, Dave, when we were at the last tour. That whole idea of like, how do you get students to understand this or young Mm -hmm. designers when they haven't even been on the other side of a print press. So hopefully because they've visited you and now they know you, how do we put together the proper turnover package for the files? And we've broken it down to some eight, eight of your 10. Let's talk about them. Where where Mm -hmm. do you want? want These are like the most common mistakes that designers send. Okay. Yeah. 
for file preparation. Yeah, the the in putting together that list, I I did it based on the experience <laughs> of thousands of jobs, yeah. and these were always the reasons I was calling the designer to say, "Hey, your file this, your file that," um, and there is. There's a good amount of file prep information out there, and certainly young designers can Google that. My list was fairly cursory yeah. and and not super thorough. The, the thing that I've found that's most important is that some designers are very tech-savvy and very particular and, and um, uh, OCD about putting their files together, mm -hmm. and they are going to look up the information. They are going to make sure they don't put in a low-res image. They are going to check for extra colors not in there, uh, PMS colors in a process job or mm -hmm. vice versa. But then there's other designers that are more like art directors, and they aren't <laughs> going to be bothered with that. They, and you know, it's true. Some creative people just aren't. They, they they don't have the temperament to get into the details of the file, and that's okay too, as long as you know that you're like that. Mm -hmm. it, it where <laughs> where we get into trouble is that if somebody is sloppy about file prep, but they insist that look, the file's fine, just print the damn thing, um, then I get into trouble because I have to go in there and fix and pay for stuff to be fixed that they didn't take care of. Mm -hmm. And I've had some unpleasant situations where people were arrogant about it. And they said, look, the file works fine. I printed it out on my Epson. What's your problem? Just get me the proof. <laughs> <laughs> and it, if, if you know as a, as a designer if you can kind of get a sense about your level of tech and your willingness to dig into tech, then just be aware of that. And, and if you're, if you're not really going to get into tech and you're a big picture person and you're going to go in for look and feel, get help or yeah. find, you know, I've had, I had one designer say to me, Oh yeah, I don't put my files together. I hire a production person to do that. Now, that's great. That's an older designer that's got an established firm and has the money to do that. As a young designer, clearly you may not have that luxury to hire somebody to do your production. But if you're aware of where you stand on that spectrum, you can ask for help. And I get people sometimes, they send me files and they say, look, is this file okay? That's a little bit of a tough question to answer because if I have to go in and look at a file and say if it's okay, that's basically me doing the work of doing the prep on it. Yeah. And if I can't charge for that, then, you know, how do I deal with that? I certainly am happy to look at files and PDFs and try and spot problems. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, looking at it in a, in a lightweight way, like I would, I'm not going to spot deeper problems sure. that might happen when we got to do imaging. You got to dig, dig deep into the file. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. And so, as a young designer, just be aware of where you stand and you know look at these lists look at whether it's my list or anybody else's list to go through and just double check the file and yeah, i have yeah. i have my list that i put together and i recently got a list from a designer that he had three page long list of it's a file release checklist and it has a lot of um, pre-press stuff in it, but it also has a lot of design stuff from his perspective of look for smart quotes and do this and do that. So it's a lot of look for widows or orphans or yeah. 
so it's also a checklist for him when he's uh, releasing a file that he'll check design things and prepress things, resolution of images, extra colors, etc. That's so smart. Because you're right, there's two sides to this. And I think it's also worth saying, too, that um, in most cases, uh, w- when I'm introduced to a client, uh, a client has introduced me to the printer that's doing something, there are specs and, and requirements and things that I love it when a printer gives that over. So that's obviously first and foremost with any job you're doing is what you've been given already as a requirement. But everything else you have here is maybe the stuff that's be above and beyond that. You know, They might tell mm-hmm. you, we only need it in PDF with this and blah, blah, blah. But inside that file, these are the things that really matter. Yeah, right, right. So fonts, what's the biggest, what, what do you see with fonts? Well, so fonts has, has become, fonts used to be the always first and foremost issue. When InDesign came out and they started packaging fonts, that problem went away quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So now most of the time fonts are not a problem. Yeah. How, however, sometimes they still are. Sometimes InDesign doesn't package stuff correctly. Um, one of the new wrinkles is cloud-based fonts where you can't package hmm. them. Yeah. And so therefore the printer has to be able to has to have a subscription and also be able to go get the cloud-based fonts. Um, and fonts sometimes just are behave strangely and just yep. don't image properly. And <laughs> yeah. sometimes you can explain it, and sometimes there's just no friggin' explanation for it. It's just yeah. a font's going to go sideways, and we don't know what did it, but it went sideways. Got it. And yeah, I've had letters come back just jumbled in random places. Like, how is this even possible? Or, yeah, like an L, or yeah, an L yeah. is ser- sans serif, but the rest of it is serif. It's like <laughs> yeah. strange shit. But in a, in a yeah. job that, let's say, is not so document-heavy or not so text-heavy and more in the packaging world, whatever, or is there any preference of like getting a file that has the fonts outlined or both outlined and live? I know that's kind of what I tend to do is provide mm-hmm. both. Does that help? I well, yes, it does help. And sometimes getting an outline font is the way to address the problem yeah. and fix it. Yeah, I'm. I don't have getting outline fonts as a default though, because when there's an outline font, then I anything. have no ability to. I can't do anything to that it. Quick edit and and uh, it's just like with getting PDFs. I know that with a with. My sense is that with a fair amount of uh, print work and, say, publication work, PDFs are the standard, mm-hmm. and the printer just wants a PDF because for a printer, getting a PDF is easy. It's like, wham, bam, I slap it in there. I don't have to think about it. My experience has been, though, that so many times we get um, stuff that comes in, and we make a proof, and the client says, oh, yeah, here, you know, fix this, fix that. And now we're not in a position where we can fix anything. And the designer has to fix it and resubmit a PDF. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, my only reluctance with that is that it gives me less flexibility to deal with fixing things on the fly when we're on press or when we're, you know, yeah. it, it's all about a time crunch. And if I don't have the flexibility, if the designer's, you know, at a meeting for three hours and we can't get a hold of them for them to get back to their computer and make me a new PDF then we're stranded. Yeah. So the mercy of their time. Yeah. Yeah. One thing you said about giving two files. Mm -hmm. um, Another thing that happens with outline fonts is that it does change the weight ever so slightly of the type. It adds a tiny bit of weight is my understanding. Yeah, it does. 
it's minuscule, yeah. but I've had minis- I've been bitten by minuscule <laughs> things before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, I'm, uh, I don't like getting two sets of different files for a job because it just complicates it. It just, it complicates it. It causes confusion. I and I just did a job the other day where the guy sent me three different versions of the file and of course, the one that got proofed was one that was a little bit low res, and he looked at the proof and said, yeah, it looks great, print it, uh-huh. and then he printed it, and then I delivered it, and then I get a call saying, hey, this res is wrong, why didn't you use the right file? I'm like, uh, well, <laughs> why didn't you tell me this when I showed you the proof? Yeah, yeah, I know that, but you've got to reprint this. <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. And so I did. I mean, I, you know, it's like... Look, I just gave you a bunch of work. You know, you got to get my back on this one. I'm like, yeah, okay, I got your back. I paid for the reprint. Um, and don't give me three friggin' files. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me the file you want me to print. You know, let's, I, I, it, because you've also got to realize I get the file, I hand it over to somebody, my customer service person who sends it into prep, and then the prep guy picks it up. He's three, he's four layers away from you. You knew exactly what was going on when you gave me four files. This guy picking up the job in line with the other 12 jobs he's working on at that time, he doesn't know any of this. He's He's got to be able to pick it up, do production, slam it out, get it over to the proofer and make a proof of it because I'm there banging on the door at the prep department saying, is my proof ready? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, and and so it, it as a as a person submitting files – You've got to really make it idiot-proof. As a designer submitting files, you've got to make it idiot-proof. You've got to make it crystal clear. You've got to provide folding dummies. You as a designer are intimately familiar with the job. You know where everything is and exactly how it goes and what it does. My prep guy who just picked it up knows nothing about it. Yeah. And so there are things, there's knowledge that you have in your head about how to deal with it that just happen instantly and it's no problem. As opposed to the guy in prep working on your job, he doesn't know any of that. He doesn't yeah. know that you've got this little crossover and the, that you want this thing to back up that way. And if you don't provide as much information as you can as the designer to make it idiot-proof for me to make the proof for you, then there's a chance something's going to go wrong. Yeah. And I'm all about trying to prevent that because when stuff goes wrong, it's going to cost money and most of the time it ends up costing me the money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because, and then I fight with the client. I say, look, your file was bad. Pay me for this and pay me for that. And clients don't want to pay more money than the estimate. You know, I approve this estimate. Why are you charging me more? Um, So if, if, so if we go down the list, the linked files and linked images, you want to see them obviously hundred percent scale, the right format, Right. What 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 do we got to do on the all the linked images that are included? Like the embedded stuff. Yeah. 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 So and don't embed stuff. By the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, embedding files makes them inaccessible or yeah. difficult for us to work yeah. with. Um, linked files. Yes, the rule of thumb is that your Photoshop file should be at close to hundred percent size of the size you're reproducing it. Perfect. That that doesn't happen a lot <laughs> and. It's okay. <laughs> Most of the time, many times it's fine. The, the, the times when it's a problem is either the Photoshop file is being enlarged a bunch in your document and the, the resolution goes down the pot, 
or sometimes I could get a 600 meg file for a little one by one <laughs> thumbnail in the booklet, right? I love that. And so, yeah. and I did that one time. I had a, a book for a fashion company, and there were, I don't know, 60 little thumbnail prints of, you know, clothes. And when they gave us the files, they gave us the files that were used on billboards. Oh, so, God. You know, so we like had 72 a, we, DPI, but like 800 inches. <laughs> yeah. And so we had, we had, you know, six gigs of files for what could have been a, you know, Tiniest. a one gig uh, file prep thing. But wow. they took the path of least resistance. They gave us the biggest files, which... In one sense, that makes sense. It's like there's no danger of me getting low res on it. But what it did is I crashed our machine and we couldn't even process the file. Yeah. And we had to figure out some way to work around it. So you can blow stuff up and reduce stuff in InDesign, but within reason. And you've got to be careful about that. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we can get a 200, 180 DPI image to work. 300 DPI is the rule of thumb that it should be. Mm. But sometimes a 180 DPI image, it might be fine. It all depends on the image, yeah. you know, yeah. if it's going to work or not. So what about hmm. bleeds? Like, are you, like, especially on the packaging side, but even on anything that you're doing that you're die cutting? Uh, any tips or things that we should be, uh, especially in the maybe like intricate areas or folds, you know, you're obviously there to help when at the design process to, to aid, if, to give a better kind of idea. Because tr- bleeds can be a little bit tricky when there's a lot of folding going on. Mm, yeah. Yeah, they can. They Bleeds are tricky when you've got folding or die cutting. Um, the For me, the biggest problem is that sometimes people just don't pay attention to bleeds. And one of the cases in which they don't pay attention to it is they don't have enough image. The picture's not big enough. I've got to get the whole picture in there. We print a lot of art books, and so don't crop my art. You know, it's a Picasso. You can't snip off the eighth of an inch of the Picasso out at the edge there. So (laughs) what people do is that it's like, okay, well, I can't crop off any of the image. Here's the image. Boom, no bleed. Well, I get it, and I got no bleed, and... It's like sometimes our prep guys will look at it and say, yeah, okay, I'll blow this up 102%. No problem. Problem fixed. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so the prep guys sometimes do that because it's the quickest way to solve the problem and get the proof out. It – and – the truth is, is that on many types of images, it doesn't matter and it's no mm-hmm. big deal. But of course, the time when it's been a problem is I've got a Picasso in there and the curator flips out because we snipped off, you know, the edge of the painting. Um, my experience has been, it's just been a carelessness with bleeds. Mm-hmm. It, it Bleeds should be imprinted on your head as a designer that they are not optional. And... I think it's just sloppiness. I think, you know, anybody could flip through a file and look. And when you set up the file, set up the bleeds in there, set it to be eighth of an inch, it puts the little red line around your trim. And you know that you've got to run the image out to that eighth of an inch bleed. It, it, I think it's just a, uh, a sloppy file prep uh, issue with people. It's been my experience. And also too, I think regardless of that too, like sometimes in particularly packaging, it might just be something you're not aware of. And when Jordan and I were talking about how we make our little test dummy mock-ups, that's the, and you do the full cut, you could see if maybe a bleed goes too far into a flap or it doesn't even need to be there or should it flood the flap? You know, like there's all those things by just doing a simple thing like a dummy 
uh, you can see if the bleed's going to mm-hmm. work. And mm-hmm. it helps you understand it a little bit better, too, I think, too, which is... So the, the, I think having a little dummy every time you're doing any kind of job like this obviously is going to help you catch those things, uh, particularly <laughs> like in bleeds. I love it. <laughs> I have students that I have... The first slide I have says, don't forget bleeds. And it is like in the biggest <laughs> impact font. And their first comps come the next day. And every kid has pushed... the. It's almost they've done more work in going right to the edge of each flap and not flooding. And I'm like, Did, what is preventing this from happening? <laughs> I just, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I, I think that one of the things I try and do is I take people to the cutter. Yes. And I say, look, I'm cutting a chunk of paper. I'm cutting three inches thick of paper. The blade is going to move around. The, the lift of paper is squishy. Yeah. And it's going to move. And I can't cut right on your ink edge. And what you're saying about making dummies is so critically important and true because so much design is all digital. It's all on screen and people don't want to make printouts and cut them up and fold them up. And that goes to any kind of print piece, any kind of folding. You've got folding, you've got panels, you've got something you want to back up. You want to have crossovers. So many times people just look at it on screen and say, yeah, okay, that works. And then they shoot the file off without ever having printed it out. And then when I print out the proof and there's a problem, they're like, oh, yeah, this doesn't work. It's like, yeah, okay, that's great. I just spent all the money making your proof. And now I'm going to make your proof over again because you didn't print it out and put it together. And who's going to pay me for that? Are you going to pay me for that? Yeah. Oh, well, no. Gee, help me out, printer guy. (laughs) 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 help me out printer guy there's the t-shirt we're gonna make for the this (laughs) i I think you're right i think a lot of this is so common sense and i but if you haven't gone through it once uh, i think as you learn and you see and maybe uh, unfortunately sometimes you got to make the mistake as a designer to know how to prep for the next time and never have it again. Yeah. So yeah, if true. we've gone through all this and, and let's say our, our file's looking good, we're prep's good and we are now called back, we're doing a press check. What are some of the just, you know, the quick kind of things that we feel like uh, as designers, our role is when we're there? What are we looking for? Certainly. So on a press check, the, 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 one of the first things you're going to be looking at is getting um, looking at the last round of corrections made. Ah, so right away, you look at the blue line and say, okay, this typo, that, you know, whatever the corrections were, mm-hmm. look at that first and make sure that that, caught, that got caught. Um, next thing is look at the paper and make sure that the paper's right. I have printed jobs on the wrong paper because nobody thought about it. We were dealing with other issues. We were looking at color. And it's like, like all of a sudden, it's like, oh, crud, this is the wrong paper. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Um, so look at the paper. Um, then next on press is uh, it, it's, it's super critical to keep in mind that proofing in the printing industry, the kind of proofing that we do for offset presses is I'm not making the proof on the press and I'm not making the proof on the actual paper. I'm making the proof on proofing paper, Epson gloss prints or HP digital blue lines. So the proof and the press sheet are not the same thing. You now have ink on paper. Mm. Ink Printing ink is translucent. The paper color, shade, and texture is going to come through. So whereas that nice solid of a PMS gray that you know looks smooth <laughs> on my proof, when I put it on an eggshell surface paper, it's going to get some 
some texture and a little bit mm -hmm. of modeling in it. And so the, the, the biggest reason that you're going on a press check is these discrepancies between the proof and the actual ink on paper. You're looking to see what the ink is doing. You're looking to see how close you can get it to the proof. In particular, on uncoated papers, the proof and the press sheet are going to be more different because proofing methods yeah. can't simulate uncoated paper super well. Yeah. Um, and you're going to be making sometimes subjective decisions about, yes, okay, it doesn't look like the proof, but this is going to be okay, or this is really not going to be okay. And it's those those kind of things are the are the biggest critical issues that you're looking for on press. Um, another thing that comes up on press when you're printing multiple images on, say, a 16-page signature, you're going to have photograph A in front of photograph B on the press sheet, and they are running in line with each other, meaning in line with the same ink rollers and same ink settings. And sometimes you're going to have an issue where photo A wants to be more blue, but photo B is too blue. Uh -huh. And you are now going to have to have a compromise between, okay, if I match the proof for photo A, B suffers. If I match mm, the proof for yeah. photo B, A suffers. How <laughs> do you make that decision? What do you do? If the client's not there, the pressman's going to split the difference, uh -huh. and each of them will be a little bit off the proof. But to us, without a client there, that might be better than one being really far off the proof and one being right on. Those kinds of decisions are sometimes especially tricky because photo A might be in the CEO's office, and that's what matters. And photo B is like, <laughs> who cares about that, yeah. right? And that knowledge is not knowledge that we're going to have. It's not knowledge that certainly the pressman's going to have. And that sort of thing, if you have to make a compromise, which sometimes you do, um, that's the uh, information and that's the knowledge that the designer is going to bring to the press check. The other thing on a press check is that you, you're going to need to rely on the pressman's expertise about what can and can't be done. Mm. And sometimes it's better not to tell the pressman, look, put more cyan in or take the yellow down. It's not necessarily good for the designer to decide what to do with the color. It's better for the designer to say, look, this picture's feeling a little warm or a little cool or a little green. It, and then ask the pressman for his expertise on what go. to be done because they've been doing this for decades. And if, if you tell them the sense there, our whole purpose in the press check is to please you and to make you happy with it. We are going to do everything we can to do that. That's the whole point of what we're doing. Give us, the direction that you want, give us the um, uh, the the thing that the goal that you're going for. Allow the pressman to give it his best effort at achieving that. Sometimes it's a pretty easy move, and sometimes it can be a super tough nine hour press check. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and we've had all of them. Um, and then you're looking, you know, you're looking to balance the color across the sheet. You're looking for crossovers are a big deal. 
if you're crossing over one picture from one form to another or one place on a form to another, the pressman is going to cut the sheet apart and look at the crossover. Or um, you might print half of a photo on form one and then you get to form two and you're going to cut off a piece of form one and match it up to form two to balance the color for the crossover there. Um, crossovers are a particularly tricky thing yeah, on press I bet. as well. Yeah. So. So everything that there, the other stuff you're doing is you're looking for the flaws, you're looking for any imperfections or things, and that's the stuff that it's your responsibility and your advantage to being there to call out any of these things. So hopefully, like you said, bring up the problem, but let the press check know the solution. Let the the, the team know the figure mm. out the solution. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Utilize their expertise. Um, realize that they've been doing this for a long time and that they will have if you tell them the goal and what you're trying to achieve with it cool. they will then come up with ways of of you know suggested ways to to try and and achieve that for you cool cool yeah so finishing up we've got like three mm -hmm. what we might call added added things that we can add to the some any of these jobs that we've kind of done some extra things that are a little on trend with what's happening in printing and things like that. Like the digital printing thing to me, I think it's, it's yeah. incredible. And, and you showed us what you have on the digital side and explained it so well to the students to understand the difference, but the, the advancements have been pretty amazing lately, correct? Yes, they have. Digital printing is getting better and better all the time. And the trends, the market trends are that the volume of digital printing is growing. Our volume is changing to be more digital. Wow. Um, on the one hand, that's disappointing because it's less volume and less dollars, yeah. um, and you don't get that great ink smell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but from <laughs> from uh, economic perspective and from the perspective of marketing and, and from the perspective of the job achieving what it needs to achieve for the client, which ultimately we are all carny barkers for the client to help them accomplish their mission um, – the digital offers great advantages. You can print 150 copies. You don't have to print 1,500. Yeah. Um, the there's several different types of digital printing. There's the Xerox presses, which work with a toner base, and early on in digital printing, toner-based digital printers yielded that waxy, shiny printing, mm -hmm. which, in my experience, most designers hated, and we certainly hated it as well. We as a company were a little bit late to the digital game. There were other companies going into digital before us, but we purposely did not do it because we weren't finding a press that we liked. We didn't like waxy, shiny color laser prints, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we work with designers who want uncoated, toothy, you know, gorgeous, you know, inky feeling pieces. The presses that we work with are the HP Indigo. And we feel that the Indigo technology is the best technology for digital out on the market. And we have two of those presses. Hmm. Um, the vast majority of digital presses are the 13 by 19 size. Um, more rare, but beginning to happen more, is a larger digital press, which is a 20 by 29 size or mm -hmm. a B2 size. And that is about um, – that press has changed the market in a substantial way for us because there's a lot of art books, for example, that I would have had to print due to sheet size. I had to print them on the offset press, 
but the cost was much more. Now I can print art books on these on this large digital press. The cost has come way down, and we get amazing image, amazing quality. Um, digital presses aren't perfect. Solids can have some difficulties, solid color fields. Grays mm -hmm. are particularly difficult, greens. Um, there are disadvantages to digital, of course. Uh, color consistency can be a little bit of a problem. Um, a digital press is going to go up and down. It's going to move around a little bit. It should not move around a lot, but I also have had to say to clients, they'll get a proof, and if you've got a four-color black and white or something, and I print it today and it's a little warm, and I print it tomorrow, it's a little cool, I've had to say to clients, look, Mm. I, the the amount of ink that causes that change is like one or two percent. Wow! And I'm sorry, I can't control that variation. I'm going to get some variation on the digital press, and you just have to be aware of it. Um, if if you're aware of the disadvantages, it's okay. But I've had to say to clients, they if they've busted my chops on something, I've had to say, look, I can get better control, but we're going to be offset. And that's going to be a $12,000 book, not a $5,000 book. What do you want to do? All of a sudden, yeah. all I mean, of a sudden it, they're okay with that little <laughs> shift in that temperature, right? <laughs> that's great. I, I, um, I've been so amazed with one, just the amount of the what it gives the uh, client sometimes the offering to do something at a when they only have to do a small amount and the digital yeah. options have been great which is great and I, I one of our printers was even showing us how the finishing stuff is even get starting to show up in digital printing like the embossing and the uv coating and and uh replicating foil stamp by metallics and stuff it's it's insane. Yeah. I, so yeah. very, very good to, so I'm assuming too, like if you're going back to our beginning, if you're looking at printers, probably good to know that they have some options in the digital uh, frontier. Oh, here. Yeah, absolutely. You, as a designer, you're going to need to have uh, a part of your repertoire will be a good digital printer because the market and, and market forces are that you are going to print stuff digitally. Good. Just it's, it's almost a given as a designer and you want to have somebody that has a good press, and there are some amazing technologies. We we bought a perfect binder. Um, we bought a perfect binder, and so have that capability in house now to bind small quantities of books. There amazing. is a technology called called Scodix, which um, S C O D I X, and it is a finishing process done to digital press sheets, hmm. and it can do a gloss UV. It can do a foil UV. It's a raised UV. You can do patterns. So there's some really amazing oh. stuff. Um, one of the things with digital printing is that the registration is a little bit softer. So the press sheet is going to bounce a little bit. You need to be careful if you've got an image, a foil stamp, a deboss, an emboss. If you've got a dead nuts register where you're trying to register something perfectly, be careful with digital. The digital is really good but it's not quite as good as the offset. And I, so that's something that. to keep yeah. in mind. Yeah. I was a little, yeah. And it also, um, as sharp as the art was, the gold was not as razor sharp, regardless of, I think positioning was off too, but it rounded corners. It looked blurred yes. in a way. So it, it, it's a blob. It's basically yeah. a goo that's put on there. So you're yeah. like with a UV coating, which is a silkscreen process because it's a, a viscous, a thick 
uh, material, it's going to soften edges. It's going gotcha. to have a little bit of that. You're gotcha. absolutely right. But flip side of it is that you can get this raised effect and you can run your finger across this shiny awesome metallic texture, gold yeah. and you can run your finger across it and you feel the thickness of it and you get this bright banging foil-like wow. color. Uh, it's amazing. I mean, so there's there's some real advantages and as a designer you're going to be asking the printers that you interview to show you some of the stuff and show me some of the things you yeah. can do. And you you really, you've got to find the best printer for the job. You're going to need to know a number of printers um, in order to yeah. find the best fit for your client, for your project. Perfect. Well, that's great. I think the, the last thing I would love to ask is, I think it's the sustainability thing. I'm always asked to by clients, what can we do? in our packaging, in our printing, that's uh, in line with our sustainability, you know, um, uh, responsibilities as a client. It, what are the two biggest things you can offer that would probably be a good answer to that? Uh, one of the first things is looking for papers that are FSC certified. So Forest Stewardship Council certifies paper manufacturers as to how they manage their forests nice. and how they uh, achieve their, nice. uh, wow. how they get their pulp. So an FSC certification, there are a lot of papers that now have FSC certification. It doesn't automatically mean that they're recycled, um, but it has to do with responsible forestry practices. Wow. Um, recycled papers are, of course, also a good option. Um, recycled papers can be more expensive, can be tougher to get. Um, certainly, there are options out there, but it's... Um, so many times cost has such, excuse me, has mm, such a big yeah. impact that it's tough to, um, uh, always get a recycled paper. Yeah. Um, there certainly are options out there. Uh, my experience with soy based inks is I haven't used a lot of soy based inks and I've, I've been told by some people that the, the, environmental benefit of soy-based inks has been maybe a little bit overemphasized that the soy lobby or whatever been very successful at promoting how beneficial that is i've had some people tell me that it maybe is not that great but in the consumer's mind soy-based inks have been have been raw rod it just sounds they, good <laughs> yeah. It's, it, yeah, it, exactly. it does right it, it sounds good <laughs> In the beginning, uh, it tastes there's good also too. Veg <laughs> yeah, I'm just kidding. I think it's gluten free. <laughs> yeah, I know. Non-GMO. <laughs> there's, uh, there's, <laughs> there's vegetable-based inks, mm -hmm. and one of the big problems with vegetable-based inks is that they were they wouldn't dry, and so I've heard of some oh, serious wow. drying problems with vegetable-based oh, inks. Yeah. Uh, one of the responses that one of our ink suppliers has had is that they are steadily getting more and more vegetable-based oil into the process and minimizing the usage of petroleum-based products. Mm -hmm. But it has to be done really carefully because um, you either you have color fidelity problems and all of our color calibration is based on standard inks, not soy inks or vegetable inks. So mm. color calibration could become an issue. Um, and uh, it, as the ink manufacturers are pushed to be more and more sustainable. They will get that more into their standard based inks. Interesting. Um, so the recycled paper, the soy based inks, I, 
a number of years ago, I did a study. We are regulated by Cal OSHA, and our VOCs, our volatile organic compound emissions, are very tightly watched. The pressmen fill out a sheet every shift of how many pounds of ink they used. Um, I did a study a while ago, and over a five-year period, our VOCs went down by 80%. Uh, That's great. They, we, we were forced to do that, of course, by the chemicals and stuff that we had to buy. And so it was good. One of the difficulties of that transition was that, for example, our blanket wash solution, which was, you know, used to be much more toxic and volatile, um, that volatile toxic stuff worked great. It cleaned the presses up. In 30 minutes, you could do a full wash up. When we had to make a full switch over to a less toxic blanket wash, it would take an hour and a half to clean the press. Oh, so, it wouldn't yeah. clean the press. And so... There were some there were some very tough difficulties with yes the product was much better environmentally but production wise it was a nightmare for us to try and uh, get it it was not as effective and so mm. we have to find a balance between being able to do the job and and polluting less exactly and there's there's a continuous amount of improvement with our suppliers and our and and the the solutions and materials that we use digital printing is environmentally is a lot cleaner there's a lot less uh waste yeah. that happens with it not only paper waste but chemical waste as well so interesting to know <laughs> and so that could be an advantage too so i know a lot of times i i, I love the client going we want to do a recycled package and this then they see the pricing they're like maybe maybe yeah. just the soy yeah. ink is good enough to put on the package <laughs> yeah, never mind. yeah like, suddenly the, the budget um speaks and that's the truth but um yeah. I, <laughs> always the case, man. But the this, budget yeah. always speaks. <laughs> There's, I, we can end it on that. That's exactly it. Uh, that, this has been great, David. Thank you, dude, so much for yeah, coming on. Absolutely, and sharing your knowledge. Where can people either find you, or you want to throw out Typecraft, whatever you want to plug? Oh yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Typecraft.com is our website. My name's David Mays. Um, and uh, we have a fair amount of resources on our website. We also have the Typecraft Design Library, which was a museum show that we had oh, that's here right. in Los yeah. Angeles. And so my passion for graphic design has led to collecting design. And the Typecraft Design Library is a project in collaboration with USC Roski School of Art and Design and with Architecture and Design Museum. And we have 700 pieces in the collection representing Whoa. 450 different graphic designers. It really, I just started grabbing pieces that I liked and putting names on them. And what I saw was community. I saw this graphic design community of all these amazing people, these incredibly talented designers. And they all came through here. And even if I only printed you know, one postcard for Milton Glaser, I've got a postcard I printed for Milton Glazer. Yeah. <laughs> I did a poster. I did a poster for Michael Beirut. And I've got a number of things I've done with April Griman. And so to me, to have all of those people in one place here, to me the community and the people and the relationships is the is the most important thing that I That's fantastic. That I, that's what that's why I get up in the morning. That's amazing. Awesome. All right, man. Well, thank you so much, David. And I can't wait to have you back in class this semester. I, I need you in, in class. I think uh, I'm going to let you be professor for a day. The day okay. that'll be the, the same week Jordan comes and visits. So we'll have, we'll have, that's right. <laughs> well, okay. Yeah, that's that great. would be a great thank time. You. Well, thank you so much. Thanks again. I, I really appreciate, I appreciate the opportunity to talk. With oh, you. Thank our you. pleasure, man. Thank you again. All righty. Take care. See ya.